Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone say inherit. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asks him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all those from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. I love that statement right there. It it, it qualifies and it quantifies how he looked at the man. Because when Jesus hears from someone, I've kept all the commandments, you know what he's thinking. No, you haven't. Ain't no one kept all the commandments. But unfortunately, this young man wasn't looking for revelation. He was looking for recognition. Y'all missed that. Okay, we'll come back to it. Okay. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure where? In heaven. Treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then after you've laid down, after you've let go, after you've abandoned, after you have sold all you have and given to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But it says he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. You know, this story starts out real good. It starts out really well. You know, we've got a a man in in the other uh, gospels. I think it's mentioned in three out of four of the gospels. It identifies this man between all those, as rich, as young, and as a ruler or as a man of prominence or high status. A rich, young ruler. And man, you know, if you want anybody following your ministry, that's like prime candidate right there. He's rich, he's young, and he has status or he has influence. He's a ruler. Rich, young, ruler. Sounds just like the kind of guy that we would welcome with open arms and say, man, come on in. You've obviously achieved something great. You've obviously done something awesome in your life. You have obviously uh, put forth some effort and you have done some work and, and man, you are, you are a prime candidate, right? But this is what I know, that, that there are no perfect people, right? And a lot of times we highlight what we have at the expense of what we have yet to gain. We highlight all that we've accomplished where God is still wanting us to show us something more. Even a rich young ruler 
can gain something. Even a rich young ruler can, can have something added beneficial to his life. And he comes asking a great question. How do I inherit the eternal life, this eternal life you're talking about, this kingdom that you have, have been ministering on and preaching on? How can I get access to this? How can I receive this? How can I have, be a part of this is what he's saying. How can I be a part of your mission? But he uses a word very interesting here. He says, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, this word inherit means this, to receive or be left with. It means to receive or be left with. Another definition that I saw that kind of gives some relevance is this, to gain from a predecessor. To gain from a predecessor, from someone that precedes you. In essence, it's giving us the implication that there's not a whole lot of effort and not a whole lot of work that is necessary to get an inheritance. You don't work for an inheritance. Nobody has an inheritance laid aside for them, and then the qualification is you got to put in so many hours or put in so much effort or meet certain qualifications. The inheritance is yours by right and by privilege. By, by who you are, not by what you do. It's yours by who you are, by your identity, not by what you do, not what you are working towards, not what you are putting forth effort towards. And so he uses this interesting word that kind of gives us a little bit of insight, maybe, to how he's gotten the wealth that he has. Because to be a rich, young ruler there's a great possibility that his wealth is something he was simply born into. To, to be a person of this level of prominence and this level of influence at this, you know, at a young age like this is more so likely something that he just walked into versus something he's had to work for versus something that he's had to, you know, put in the man hours and create this or build this or, you know, have all this effort, all this striving in place. It's more so something that he's walked into. But Jesus gives an answer. He says, why do you call me good? Kind of a weird answer. You know, that's kind of rude. If someone, you know, gives you a compliment, you know, you don't challenge the compliment, but he does. And he says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except my father who's in heaven, God himself. And what he's trying to help the young man understand is you're calling me good by your standard. You're calling me good based on your understanding of good. But I wanna show you something that's even better than the good you know. He wants to show him greater than good. Y'all might've even heard the, the, the statement that good is the enemy of great, right? And when we settle for what is good, then we don't ever see that that definition of good that we have a lot of times can be the limitation of beyond what God wants to do, what God wants to show us. And so he's telling this young man, he's not necessarily saying, I'm not good, don't call me good. He's saying, you're only calling me good based on your standard. He's identifying, you don't really know me. You don't really know me. You don't really know who I am and what I have and how good I really am. 
And then he goes on to say this, you know the commandments. And then he lists several commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. We know that these are part of the initial 10 commandments that God gave to Moses and what became up to this point because Jesus has not died on the cross and Jesus has not risen again from, you know, this man can't confess that Jesus died on the cross and he can't confess that Jesus rose again from the dead and he can't confess that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and I wanna come into your kingdom. That hasn't been made available yet. So a level of righteousness or a level of right living was based on our ability to keep the law. But this was the problem with the law. The law couldn't save you. The law couldn't give you access to the kingdom of God. The law was actually just a a measuring stick to reveal to us how bad we really were. How far into sin we really were. Romans chapter eight uh, uh, helps clarify that the sin was powerless, that it could only reveal sin, but it couldn't save you from sin. Okay, there's two different things. So the law shows up and says, you're missing it here, you're missing it here, you're missing it here, you're missing it here. The law was an identifier, I need a savior. The law was a a standard of living that no man could ever live up to. Impossible, on your own natural ability. And the Bible tells us, Jesus even said himself, I came to fulfill the law. Not in the sense that I'm doing away with the law, but I'm, I am the completion of the law. The, how do you become righteous before your heavenly father? You make Jesus the Lord of your life. You accept the price that he's made for you. You accept what he, did, what he did for you, the blood that was shed for you, the fact that he rose again so you can live in authority and, and be in right standing with your heavenly father once again. That is how you are made righteous, not by doing things, not by checking boxes, not by striving not by working for it, not by putting forth effort for it, not by by doing all the right things. The, The only way you can come into the kingdom of God and inherit eternal life is by being something, not doing something. And so Jesus is pointing to the law, but understand this, that Jesus is not saying, well, as long as you do all these things, you'll inherit eternal life. That would be counter to what he said. That would be counter to what Jesus ministered over time. That would be uh, uh, the opposite of what he said. He made it very clear that we are not made righteous by what we do. We're not made righteous by, by working hard enough and adding to it. So for him to, to point to the Ten Commandments and say, well, if you do all these different things, then you inherit the kingdom of life. No, he was just trying to identify where this young man was at. And he failed the test. He failed the test. See, this man revealed, this young, rich ruler, revealed that his his accomplishments and his achievements and what he had worked for over his life or what he had gained in his life, whether he worked for it or it was just given to him, that was his identity. The proper response from 
Jesus listing the commandments would have been, well, if I have to keep all these commandments, then I must not be fit for the kingdom of God. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But what was the man's response? I've kept all these from my youth. He failed the test. He failed the test. The law didn't even work to his benefit because the law was designed to show him he's a sinner, not a saint. The law was designed to show him if you have to do all these things, we'll never make it. I need something different. It was a marker. Jesus was trying to help the man see that he needed something more than checks and balances, more than a to-do list, more than the Old Testament law. And he did, see, he called him good and didn't even recognize he was the savior of the world. Didn't even recognize he was the Messiah, the one that was going to, fill, going to fulfill the very law that he states he's kept since his youth. Our response to doing and striving should never be, well, I must have it all together. Look what I've done. It should be, if, I, if it's up to me, I'll never make it. If it's left alone to what I'm able to do in my own natural ability, then apparently the kingdom of God's not for me. Jesus was trying to show him a better way than having to keep a tally in his life and achieve and accomplish and add and gain. This is obviously a man that is identified by his wealth, by his prominence, by his social status. Uh, in these days, it would have been very visible and very recognizable that he was a ruler. He was prominent. He was wealthy. These things would have been visible. He wouldn't have been able to hide it. In these days, wealth was a marker. In fact, he goes on, Jesus, to have a conversation with his disciples about the wealthy, speaking specifically of financial wealth and monetary wealth, because they thought, and you know, there are still cultures on this planet today that believe that wealth is a marker of spirituality. When we went to uh, Nicaragua, down in the Spanish culture, Central American culture, they have a very broken uh, view on wealth and prosperity. They believe that your level of closeness to God and your level of spirituality is marked and indicated by your level of wealth. And if you have money and you're rich and you're wealthy, then you must be doing something right. That's very much real. And when we go down there and teach, and when we go down there and minister, we have to understand that they have an incorrect view of this. They have an incorrect view of prosperity and wealth. Uh, even when Chase and I went to Africa several years ago, they had a measure of that themselves. It was amazing uh, how they uh, uh, view money and how they view wealth. The one pastor that I ministered to, he figured it out that wealth is a kingdom thing, not a, not a, it's not a status thing. That God will provide and God will bless if you put your hand to the plow and you, you are seeking out his vision and his plan. That pastor had figured it out. He built a church in, in a dump. It literally was a dump. And he, it's turned into a church. It's amazing what he's done with it. 
but he figured out what most in that culture have not figured out of how God views money. But for this young man, it wasn't just about money. It wasn't just about status. It was about identity. And if we're not careful, a lot of times we will gather our identity on our doing and our striving and our achieving and our accomplishing and the stuff that we have. This is the danger of of understanding that there is a life that God wants us to live. He's not calling us to eliminate righteous living, holiness, living in obedience to his word, Now it doesn't matter what I do with my life because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No, that's, that's getting in the ditch on the other side. That's jumping clear across the other side and abandoning the principles of the word of God. The word has plenty to say about what we do, has plenty to say about our actions, our behavior, our lifestyles. Are we a reflection of the kingdom of God? Paul repeatedly talks about things that we are to put off and things that we are to put on. He talks about everything from lying and cheating and obeying your parents to fornication and immorality and stealing and and all these things. And then Jesus even takes it even deeper and says, you think if you do this, naturally you've sinned, but I'm telling you, if you even think or have a position in your heart, you've already sinned. So it's incorrect theology and incorrect teaching to think that now because of my identity is in Christ, I don't have to be concerned about my behavior and my lifestyle and actions. What God is trying to reveal to us and what Jesus is revealing to this young man is that my actions and behavior come from who I am. They don't make who I am. That's the difference. But this young man's gonna have a hard time switching that. And we see. In fact, it says that he went away sorrowful, went away dismayed. Why? Because he had many possessions. When it becomes your identity, it's difficult to let it go. Now, I want to go ahead and just switch something over real quick before we get too hung up on the word wealth. Because we get wealthy in all kinds of different ways. Obviously, this man had natural wealth, physical, tangible wealth. He was wealthy. He was rich. He had money. But we all accumulate all kinds of stuff in our lives, and we become wealthy somewhere. We become wealthy where you accumulate. Wealthy, where you lean on that to be your identity and you lean on that to define who you are. And so it might not be necessarily financial, the thing that we're having to lay down, but maybe we've become wealthy somewhere else. Maybe we've become wealthy in knowledge. Maybe we've become wealthy in our status. Maybe we've become wealthy in a gift or a talent or an ability. All these things are poor identifiers in your life. Poor markers of your identity. I've seen people build their identity on their gift, build their identity on their status, build their identity on their uh, position at work, build their identity on how much they make, build their identity on where they live geographically, what neighborhood they live in, what their house looks like, what their car looks like. We can all, we can all find things to, 
plant our identity in. I've seen people plant their identity in who they marry. These are all poor markers, poor substitutes for the identity that God wants to give you in Christ Jesus. All of them will fail you. All of them are broken. They cannot carry you. And this man's status, this man's riches, this man's prominence, Jesus was trying to show him those are poor substitutes and they are gonna keep you from the one thing you have yet to gain. He shows this man, you're sacrificing what you have yet to gain for what you have gained. You're compromising what is still in front of you because of what you have. I wonder how many times that we miss out on what we need because of what we have. How many times do we miss out on what we need because of what we already have? I tell you, when, 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 when we are busy meeting our own needs, we don't give God any room to meet our needs. And he wants to meet your needs. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. But you know what? We, 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 we sometimes fail in our ability to go to him first. Make him the priority. Think of all the things that we lean on to solve our issues. And it's usually, sadly, only until all those have failed us do we finally go run into Jesus. It's usually us testing everything out, maxing out the credit cards, trying to get the right kind of friends, achieving some kind of major accomplishment in our life that we think is going to be the answer that we need. And it's usually until all those things, all those broken systems fail us that we finally will go to Jesus and say, how do I inherit? How do I receive? So this young man, like I had just said earlier, Jesus gives these markers You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. It reveals about this man with his response that he's really, you know, sometimes we ask questions not really wanting an answer. You ever notice that? And we discover about this young man that he really just wants recognition from Jesus, not revelation from Jesus. What I mean by that is he wants Jesus to see who he is and all he's accomplished and all he's achieved and for Jesus to acknowledge, look at how well put together this young man is. Again, when he asked the question or when he identified the Ten Commandments, when he identified the law, the law was designed to reveal to the man he was a sinner. But instead he uses it as a standard of living to boast himself up even further to Jesus and say, I've kept all those, which we know is false because everyone has sinned. Everyone has blown it. You can imagine Jesus being the only one on the face of the planet that has never sinned. Thinking, no, not quite. But as long as you're self-righteous, you'll never gain his righteousness. 
As long as we live in our own self-righteousness, we'll never be able to walk in God's righteousness. And I can tell you right now, God's righteousness is far greater than our self-righteousness. God's righteousness that he has for your life, the position he wants to put you in, the position he sees you as, the, 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 the status that he wants you, that's not measured by man, not measured by wealth, not measured by gain, not measured by accomplishment, not measured by what you can do. It's measured by who you are. And then you no longer have to chase after things in the world to be your identity any longer. You can say, my identity is in Christ. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they bring me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. They can persecute me. I belong to Christ. They can cuss me out. I belong to Christ. They can devalue me. They, I belong to Christ. They can keep me stuck at this position for 12 years and not give me the promotion I know I deserve. I belong to Christ. She can treat me that way. He can treat me that way. I belong to Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Self-righteousness will never get you what God's righteousness can get you. We'll never be able to accomplish in your life what, what God wants to accomplish in your life. The people that I see striving through self-righteousness are always left empty, never satisfied, always discouraged, can never find enough to add to their life, never find enough to gain to their life, never have enough likes, never have enough comments, never have enough uh, people, never enough accolades. It's striving. It's emptiness. It's amazing how hard people will work to avoid what God has given them. <laughs> it's amazing the effort people will give. It's amazing the striving that they'll go through to get what God wants to freely give you. Ephesians chapter one in verse 11 tells us that, there, that the, uh, we have an inheritance in Christ Jesus that was predestined to us. It's an inheritance that is already yours before you even showed up in the planet. That's how much God thinks of you. That's how highly he thinks of you. That's how much he wants to make available to you. But we would rather strive than rest. We would rather strive than serve. We would rather be focused on what we can add rather than, and this is the kicker, what we can let go of. This all boiled down to Jesus responding and saying this. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell, everyone say sell, all you have and give, everyone say give. Remember the original question, what started this whole thing, how do I inherit? How do I get with as Little investment as possible. Well, that's a problem in our lives too, is we want great things with little investment. We want great things, but 
with as small of an effort as possible. The question was, how can I get? Jesus identifies the Ten Commandments. Verse 20, he said to him, teacher, I have kept. Everyone say kept. So, so far, the rich young ruler has identified, I want to get and I have kept. I want to accumulate. I want to add. I want to gain. I want to keep. What is Jesus' answer? Go and sell and give. This young man wants to come into the kingdom for what he can get, not for what he can give. So Jesus is trying to identify, help us identify and and straighten out and align our priorities. Are we doing and striving and working so that we can add and gain and accumulate? Or are we asking this, what if it wasn't something that God wanted to add to your life? What if it was something he wanted you to let go of? Now see, we, we will... We, we do this in our lives. We think that accumulating and achieving and adding and gaining is the answer. If I can get more, if I can get more, if I can get more. But the call that Jesus is bringing this young man to isn't a call of getting and adding and gaining. He says, give and sell. Jesus is trying to help this young man. The way you inherit the kingdom of God is not by gaining, it's by sacrificing. It's not by striving, it's by serving. It's not by getting, it's by giving. And it says that he went away grieving because he had, everyone say had, we have inherit, we have kept, and we have had. All identifiers of what this young man has gained and added and worked for. And Jesus's words for him are give and sell. I've said this before and just bears repeating. He's not after the man's money. Could care less about this man's money. But he is after his heart. And a lot of times for a God to get to our heart, he has to go through our stuff. For God to get to our heart, He has to go through our stuff. Why? Because if we're not careful, we will attach our heart to our stuff. We'll attach our heart to our accolades. We'll attach our heart to our wealth. We'll attach our heart to what we've gained. We'll attach our, some of us uh, want to be known as hard workers. Which sounds like a, a reasonable thing in life, that we should have a good work ethic, right? We should want to be hard workers. But the problem is, is we are striving for things at the expense of what God wants to give us. We're striving instead of serving. We're trying to gain. When's the last time we asked God, God, what do you want me to 
let go of? What should I abandon? See, it's not always a challenge of doing more. If we're not careful, we will make church and Christianity and being close to God and a life of faith about what we do and what we add. What we do and what we add. But God is trying to show us that the life of the believer is more greatly identified by what you lose and let go of, what you abandon, what you lay down. Some of us have spent so much effort accumulating, adding, checking all the boxes. But if we go all the way back to the beginning, God would say this, you didn't have to do any of that. I just wanted you. I just wanted your, I didn't want your stuff. I wanted your heart. I was just asking you to lay one thing down. And I've seen people do this. In response to God asking them to sacrifice something, they'll add something. Rather than just simply lay down the one thing that God wants them to lay down, they will respond with two or three things that I'm doing instead of letting go of. Well, I'm doing this, and I'm going here, and I'm attending that, and I'm reading this, and I'm checking this, and I'm meeting with these people, and I'm doing that, and I'm going doing this, and, 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 and go all the way back to the beginning. God says, that's, 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 no, that's not what I asked for. I didn't ask for you to do, 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 do. I asked for you to give. I'm still asking for the one thing. But I honor my father and money, my, my, my father and mother. Go and sell all you have. No, you didn't hear me. I, I, I don't defraud. I don't steal. I don't murder. Great. Go and sell all you have. Why is it that we think that the more that we do, God will forget about the one thing he's been asking for the whole time? The one thing he's been asking for us to lay down. Look, if you go on and read uh, the rest of this conversation, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Think about that. How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter. That means that they are sacrificing what they could have for what they already have. That's what that's telling us. They would rather hold on to what they've gained than get access to what God wants to give. Are you seeing this? We're, 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 we're holding on to our accomplishments, to our accolades, to our systems. The disciples were astonished at his words. They were astonished because they thought spirituality was measured by wealth. And again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved if my adding isn't getting it done? My gaining isn't getting it done. My accolades aren't getting it done. My, my work and my effort and my striving isn't, then who in the world has the opportunity to be saved. Looking at them, Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. 
Do you see this? He says, you're missing it, Peter. You're missing it, Matthew. Who can be saved? Oh, you thought you could be saved by all that you do. They're thinking, well, if the wealthy and the rich can't get in, who has a chance? Nobody's gained more than them. Nobody's accomplished more than them. Nobody's of higher status and prominence than them. Nobody has worked harder than them. No one has put forth more effort than them. If they can't get in, then who in the world stands a chance to get into the kingdom of God? And his response is, it's impossible on your natural ability. But he says, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. What's he saying? You've been putting the possibility in the wrong category. You've been putting God's possibility on your ability. As long as I do this, then God will do this. As long as I have this, then God will do. I was just having a conversation just recently with a young man. And he was just candid and open with me and just said, man, you know, my life isn't what it, it, it should be. I haven't been going to church. I haven't been, you know, practicing Christianity like I ought to. Uh, I've been doing this and doing that, and he listed some things. Sure, listed some sins, listed some issues, just like we all have issues. And he's just said, you know, I, I don't know that I, can, I, that I can be this or do this or have this because, you know, I just, I haven't been living right. This is my first time back in church in three or four years, he said. And I told him right there, I said, This is what you need to know. If you were to turn your life around right now and abandon all those things, God doesn't see you any different than he did yesterday. You're not impressing God with your goodness. You're not impressing God with your ability to check off boxes and do certain things. Does he want you to live and practice holiness? Absolutely. Does he want you to live a righteous life that is reflective of the kingdom of God and his biblical standards? Absolutely. Does he want you to walk away from things that are lustful and, and, and fleshly and worldly and, and, and things that are reflective of the enemy and what the enemy wants to do? Of course he does. But it doesn't change how he sees you. So now my striving isn't to get God's attention. Look at me. I did it right. I got it right. I I didn't cheat. I didn't sleep with that person. I didn't look at that thing on the internet. I didn't spend that money. I didn't cuss them out. Look at me, God. You don't impress God with your righteousness. It doesn't change how he sees us. I said, if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord, You can never be more saved than you are in that moment right there. He doesn't have a saved barometer up in heaven that indicates what level of salvation you are at today. Oh, they got that right. We'll bump them up. Oh, they missed that. They're erasing it. When I was in kindergarten, I remember our teacher had You know, the the teachers have all these little markers for behavior and how well you're doing, right? Uh, A lot of them have colors. Any of you teachers use colors? So so green is good, right? I I was told, uh, who, who told me they were on green? Somebody told me, somebody's child. Was it Amelia? 
She was on blue. She, she, what is blue? Excellent. Okay, so blue's even better. Okay, so, so the green is the good, but we don't even know good. We want to get to blue. Blue means better. Somebody just told me I was on green all week. I can't remember who it was. Somebody told me. It's going to bother me now. Was it Garrison? Garrett, y'all don't do colors. You celebrated green. That's good. You had green day. That's good. I like that. They're, oh, okay, okay, so we celebrate what we've accomplished, but we're still working to get higher. Man, you got three colors above green? Man, they are stepping up the game. Green was like the top notch when I was a kid. There's, I didn't even know there were other colors. Blue to me would have been bad, like you blue, like I'm feeling blue today. We had, we had the sun. Sun was like the best, and then you got a cloud. That was the thing, is if you, had, you got a cloud. And if you had a thunderstorm, man, you were on your way to the principal's office. So I don't know what a hurricane or tornado, they kick you out for that stuff. I don't know. But they, they did it by weather when I was, I remember, it, it, and my parents will still laugh about it. I remember your teacher would tell us, you got a cloud today. Got a cloud over your name. I guess we had our names on the top, and they put a cloud over it, put a sun over it, or put raindrops. So if they had a tropical storm or something that they put up there, in Texas, we would have had tornadoes. We didn't have hurricanes. I wouldn't even know what a hurricane is. Tornado, that would have been pretty bad. God doesn't have those. Thank God he doesn't have the little measuring sticks. This is how saved you are today. This is, you, you, you checked all the boxes today. Good job, little Christian. No, he's trying to show you with, with man, it's impossible. You'll ne- all your striving, all your effort, you'll just wear yourself out. You'll just burn yourself out. You, you'll, you'll, just, you'll never be satisfied. But he says this, look what Peter began to tell him in verse 28. Look, we have left everything and followed you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel. He's not saying to abandon those things in your life. He's not saying to walk away from your family to pursue the kingdom of God. He's saying they shouldn't be a priority over what God wants you to do. There's a difference. No one has left those who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. So he says, you will reap back in this life and you'll have treasure in heaven in the age to come. Look, he's, tell, he's trying to show that he wasn't asking this man to just let go of and walk away from. He was asking him to make a trade. Your natural riches for my spiritual riches. He's asking for a trade. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. 
So for the disciples, following Jesus was not about what they gained. It was about what they gave. Why is that important? Because in Acts chapter 3, when they heal the man, the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, the response from the crowd wasn't a joyous uproar and look what these guys did and we're just so thankful you're in our town, in our community. Man, thank you for stopping by and healing this man. We want to see more of what you're doing. The response was to bring them before the rulers and to threaten them to ever from ever doing that again. Every single one of his disciples died an unnatural death except for John. They understood, if you come into the kingdom for what you get, you'll be greatly disappointed, and you will not be ready for what's ahead. But if you come into the kingdom of God for what you can give, for what you can lay down, for what you can abandon, for what you can let go of, for what you can walk away from, then you will receive treasure in heaven. That's not measured by natural indicators, not measured by natural indicators. Uh, 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 wealth and measurements that we use in our lives. That God wants to add something to your life that can only come by you letting go. So today, tonight, what is it that you have been striving, accumulating, adding, working, doing at the expense of what God is asking you to let go? Let go of, give it up, lay it down, abandon it, leave it alone, put it away. What you sacrifice will do far more for your life than what you strive for. What you will let go of will do far more for you than what you can gain on your own, than what you can work for. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.